0: Oh God, through festive music, the rice flute, the brass, the woodwinds, the percussion, the human voice, we have been humbly but earnestly expressing to you our gratitude that indeed you are our Creator, and we worship You with all our hearts. We live for the day when we shall see our Maker face to face. Still here, journey still to make. And so, Holy Father, as we open Holy Scripture now, let the Word come alive. Let let us hear what You would have us hear and then heed what we have heard. We pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Here's a question for you. Is a warning good news or is it bad news? Hmm? A warning. I want to report to you an incident that took place just a few weeks ago in San Diego. By the way, this is the second such incident that has been reported and recorded. A woman who was um, redecorating her house, she wanted this new southwest decor look went to a nursery to purchase a huge cactus. It was going to be the the towering centerpiece inside her house for her new look. And so she plunked down $3,000 and took that beautiful cactus home. Everything was wonderful for a while. Until a few days later, she, she was looking at that cactus and she noticed that the cactus was swaying. She gets up close to the cactus and she hears humming. She says, "Now I know why I paid 3,000 dollars. I got a humming cactus. They didn't tell me that." But the humming didn't sound normal. And finally bewildered, she realizes she needs help, and so she picks up the telephone and she dials 911. Fortunately for her, she got an operator who knew what this uncactus-like behavior meant. The operator's warning was clear and firm. Ma'am, you must evacuate this house. Immediately, wait in the front yard for the emergency team to arrive. A few moments later, the response team arrived. Five people, they hurried into the house. Just in time, picked up that huge cactus, carried it out to the backyard, whereupon it literally exploded with a thousand tarantulas. Oh, Oh. (laughs) yeah, yep. The nursery where she had purchased the cactus refunded her $3,000 and paid for exterminator service for the entire block. Oh, my. When asked later how her plants were doing, the woman replied, plastic and silk, thank you. (laughs) The fashion of using cacti for home decoration is fairly new, but tarantulas have been using cacti for mass breeding farms for a very long time. Question. Is a warning good news or is it bad news? Answer. There is a woman today in San Diego who is deeply grateful for the warning of that 911 operator. And there are three naval commanders this morning who I am certain would give about anything they had if only someone had warned them that sitting helplessly in their submarine's upward trajectory was a hapless, crowded Japanese fishing vessel which they would tragically sink to the bottom of the sea. Question. Is a warning good news or is it bad news? Answer. The victims of three killer quakes and devastating aftershocks in northwest India and El Salvador will to a man and woman and child tell you they would give everything they had if they could only have had someone warn them in advance. I tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, in anybody's book, anywhere on this planet, it is true. A warning of impending disaster is always... Very good news, if if the warning is heeded. Open your Bible, please, with me now, to what one author has called the most fearful, threatening and warning ever addressed to mortals. Open your Bible, please, to the Bible's last book, The Apocalypse, the book of Revelation. Watch with me. Three angels streak across the midnight heavens a verse last night. Revelation chapter 14. Three angels. You see them on the screen? Three angels. There is no more threatening warning than what you and I are about to read. But hey, hey, hold it. If warnings are good news, then hey, let us celebrate the warning we are about to read. Which is why, you know, I must tell you, I'm utterly nonplussed that there is not even a hint of this most compelling of all warnings and truths in the Left Behind movie and the Left Behind books. Not even a whisper. In fact, what's much more troubling for me is that Left Behind has inadvertently advocated the very opposite of this warning truth. And everybody knows the opposite of truth is falsehood. So how in the world shall we know the difference? Open your Bible, please. Revelation chapter 14. Our study today. What left behind, left behind the most compelling truth of all. Open your Bible to Revelation 14 and say on the way to Revelation 14, would you pull it out, please? It is in your worship bulletin today. Our study guide for today's presentation. I want our ushers quickly now to put in your hand. Anybody here didn't get a study guide? I want everybody, please, to have one of these. Hold your hand up. Thank you, sir. Ma'am, hold that hand up. Just keep your hand up. The ushers are coming right now. I want to say to those of you who are watching on television, if you will go to our website, pmchurch.org, go to our website, you will find there the study guide that we are now preparing to fill out together. Take your study guide out, please. PMChurch.org, by the way, you can join us on television or radio. But take your study guide out. We'll start right up here at the top. Those of you in the band, you've got your study guides too? Good. All right. We'll start right at the top. A warning of impending disaster is blank news. What would be the word that goes there? Yeah, you got it. Warnings are always good news. They're they're intended to save you. So write in the word, please, good. Write in the word, good. All right. Now... We want to go to to Revelation chapter 14. A warning, fearful, one author described it as. Let's go to Revelation chapter 14. Let's begin in verse 6. Now, I'm going to read today from the King James Version. Have you ever heard of that version? I figured it's time for me to preach out of the Bible Paul preached out of, and so I'm going to go to the King James. (laughs) Yep, the rest of you can bring whatever you want. i got the real thing right here. So, Revelation chapter 14. Let's pick it up. Verse 6. And I saw, those of you watching on TV, there it is on your screen. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven. Now, King James says midst of heaven. Some of your newer translations say mid-heaven. This is not an F-14 flying just above treetop to avoid radar detection. Nor is this the shuttle way out there in outer space. This is an angel. who's flying where everybody can see him, right there in the sky. I want to tell you something. This is a message for America because we Americans are big on speed, are we not? The tragic death this last Sunday at the Daytona 500 of Daryl Earnhardt is a reminder of the price we will pay for that speed. You see it on the screen. Now, this then, is Americans will love this one. Because the angel, shoo, here he goes. Let's read it. Verse 6, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel. Hold it right there. Hold it, hold it, hold it. I, I, I need you to see That what we are reading here, these three angels with their warning, this isn't just all through earth's history. This has to be God's passionate appeal just before the return of Jesus. Let me show you what happens right after the warning is issued. Verse 14, Revelation, same chapter, verse 14. I'm reading here, and I, that's John, I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud sat one like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Now, those of us here at Pioneer Memorial Church, every time we come here to worship, we look to the front of our church, and up there in the rose window, stained glass, is Revelation 14, 14's Jesus. There He is. Sickle in his hand, golden crown upon his head, the soon coming Christ. Our whole service today has been celebrating that good news. There he is. So, these three angels, go back to verse 6 now. These three angels, obviously, are just their passionate warning is just before the return of Christ. Alright, let's go back. I'll just read verse 6 again. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel. Gospel is good news, so I'm telling you, warnings are good news having the everlasting gospel, to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and unto every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, in the Greek, that is, megalephone, megalephone, from whence comes our English word, megaphone. So we're not talking about a little whimper here. We're not talking about a whisper. This is loud. Saying with a loud voice, fear God. And give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. And worship Him that made heaven and earth, and the sea, and the fountains of waters. Then verse 8, And there followed another angel. Okay, angel 1 is gone. There goes angel 1. Here comes angel 2 now. Verse 8, And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon... Babylon, the amalgamation of all false religion before Christ's return. Tower of Babel, confusion, Babylon. Babylon is fallen, is fallen that great city because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. We're talking Antichrist here. Now, those of you who were here last week, you know that was our study on the Antichrist. Some of you watching on, on television right now, you're saying, Can I get a part of that? Absolutely. Let me put the the, uh, web address on the television screen for you. pmchurch.org Just click on the most dangerous truth of all. That was our study last week. You can click on all of them, of course. Babylon has fallen. The second angel gives its message. It's gone. Now comes angel number three. And the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice. There's the megaphone again. With a loud voice. Oh, by the way. By the way. It is this angel's message that is being described by the author I quoted a moment ago as the most f- threatening, the most fearful threatening ever uttered to mortals. In fact, let's put it on the screen. It's from the apocalyptic classic Great Controversy. The most fearful threatening ever addressed to mortals is contained in the third angel's message. We're about to read it, but would you fill it out on your study guide, please? It's the second blank now that to fill out. The most fearful threatening ever... Addressed to mortals. Now remember, threatening warnings. Good news. We're trying to save you. Now God gets, God, gets, God gets pretty passionate here. But ladies and gentlemen, if your house is burning down and you're outside the house and little babies inside or, or somebody, some loved one in your family and you can't get in and they're asleep in that room, you are going to, you, you're not going to whisper. You're not going to sing a little lullaby. You are going to make a fool out of yourself in that neighborhood in order to get the attention of those who will be destroyed if that house burns down. God, I tell you, you're going to hear God use language you have never heard him use before. Because he is desperate, desperate, desperate. All right, let's read it. Verse 9 And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of His indignation. And He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast and His image. And whosoever receiveth the mark of His name, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. I must tell you that Left Behind is really intrigued with this mark of the beast. In fact, the eighth volume, it's the latest volume out of what will eventually be, they say, a 12 volume series. The eighth volume is entitled The Mark. Subtitle The Beast Rules the World. But quite frankly, ladies and gentlemen, they ought not to be the only ones intrigued with this mark of the beast. I mean, I want to ask you a question. Come on. When was the last time, seriously? When was the last time you 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 pondered the meaning of the mark of the beast? Nobody does. I mean, it's laughed at in the press. It's snickered about even in some Christian circles. Come on, the mark of the beast. Hey, but hold on, hold on. If if this most fearful threatening is good news because it is a life-saving warning, and if our lives are worth saving, what is the what's up with that? What is the logic? about not being interested in the warning and taking it seriously. Straight. We'll take the good news straight. But let's, take it, let's make sure we take it straight from the Word of God. Now, fascinatingly, fascinatingly enough, the apocalypse has a play and counterplay between this mark of the beast and the mark of of God. Both sides in this final cosmic showdown mark their loyal adherence. Mark, mark, check, skip, skip, check, check, skip, check, mark. Both warring sides, both battling forces are desperately intent. Okay, which one is mine? Which one? What? Put the mark, mark, mark. Who's got the mark? Who has my mark? Not your mark, my mark. Both sides are committed to marking the loyal to them on this earth. But the only way we can understand this mark of the beast, which we just read. Is to somehow examine and understand, first of all, the mark of God. Fortunately for us, the Bible is crystal clear on God's mark. In fact, I want you to go back to the first verse of chapter 14, because in the first few verses of chapter 14, there is a description of the generation that embraces God's passionate Final appeal to the human race. The three angels' messages. Who are the people like? What are they like? Who who become God's forever friends at the end of time? Let's go and read chapter 14. Now, same chapter we're in, but let's just go straight up to verse 1. And I looked... That's John. And I looked, and lo, a lamb... Who's the lamb in Revelation? The lamb is always the lamb of God. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Calvary's sacrifice. I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion... And with him, a hundred and forty four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Ladies and gentlemen, mark it down. Here they are, the followers of Christ at the end of time. And get this, get this. They are marked in only one place. Where are they marked? What did you just read? They are marked. They are marked in the forehead. It's interesting to note that the followers of the Antichrist are marked in one of two places. They can be marked in the forehead. Or where was the other place? The other place was in the hand. Because you see, the Christ and the Antichrist operate out of two very different universes. Talking about two different worldviews. Sometimes we have trouble with the apocalypse when we take one worldview and attempt to impress it upon the other worldview. That's where we get in trouble with the apocalypse. Two competing worldviews. The Antichrist doesn't, hey, by the way, he doesn't care. He doesn't care if you want to say intellectually yes to him, yes, yes, yes. He's, he doesn't care because if, if you rather just have the mark on your hand, you want to acquiesce. You want to simply follow the crowd, what does it matter to him as long as you follow him? Whether you're following conviction or the crowd, it simply doesn't matter. By the way, that, that, that's just the way the devil is. That sweet little girl, that little girl who has said no to that young man in her mind, she has said no to him in her mind, but she allows that smooth-talking boy to lead her by the hand like a lamb to the slaughter. If you say no up here, say no right there. Happens all the time. I say no up here, but I'm led along. I'm marked in the hand. Oh, and by the way, it doesn't just happen to the young. It happens to how many grown-up adults, listen to this, how many adults in order to be politically correct or at least accepted in their department have said no in their minds but have allowed the popular opinion of their colleagues to just lead them along by the hand. Marked here, disagree here. Doesn't matter. As long as you go along, that's all He cares, but God cares, which is why God refused. I refuse to mark any friend of mine in the hand because nobody's going to follow the crowd into the kingdom of Christ. Just only people who want Jesus here. And that's why with that single mark. It is clear. You must choose to follow the Lamb. You choose to be a friend of God's. You choose to obey His word, no matter what the cost. And so God's mark of loyalty goes on the forehead. Now, here's the question What is that mark? Let's go a little bit earlier in Revelation to chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. That's a a, a little journey through the white pages here, a little study. It won't hurt us today. Revelation chapter 7. Pick it up in verse 1. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. Verse 2. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the third time we've run into the Greek words Megalaphone. Loud megaphone. You know, I love, I told some of you this before. I love the book of Revelation for that reason. It is always played loud. That's the way I like to play my stereo, by the way. Loud. Because look, I figured, look, if God invents a stereo that has one and two on it, He also has invented nine and ten. Why can't you play nine and ten as well? Why would He have invented nine and ten if you're only supposed to play a stereo one and two? You just tell my wife that, will you, after the service. Just explain that to Karen. Alright. So, here is this angel. Verse 2. He cries out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea. Final verse 3. Saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God. Where does it read, ladies and gentlemen? In their foreheads. Take your study guide out. Let, let's, let's move on with this study guide. Revelation 14, verse 1, we just noted it. The followers of Christ are marked on their... <clears throat> right in the word foreheads, please. Then in Revelation 7, the blank of the living God is placed on their foreheads. What is it that goes on the forehead? What is it? Seal. You got it. Seal. So write in the word foreheads and then the word seal. I think this is kind of a wow moment. Because God apparently looks down on this planet He says, Hey, I have some friends here. I am going to put on them... Boom! The good housekeeping seal of approval. These are my friends. Nobody can take them away from me. They belong to me. I think that's kind of a wow that God would be that big on His friends to identify them. Phew! Mine, mine, mine. He said, they're sealed. They're sealed. They're all mine. So, what goes into the seal? We've got to ask this. Okay, so what's in the seal? Let's go backwards in the New Testament. Go to the little book of Hebrews, just a few books back. I want you to look these up. You say, oh, I'll just read them on the screen. Well, you can. Nobody's going to kick you out of here if you do. But if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Hebrews. Because that's what I'm going to do. Sometimes just a good old fashioned, letting the Bible interpret itself. We get into trouble when we just look at one verse and say, that's it, that's it. No, let the book interpret itself. Hebrews chapter 10. Take a look at this. What is it that goes in the forehead here? Hebrews chapter 10, let's read verse 16. This is the covenant, God is speaking here. This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my, what? My laws into their hearts and in their minds, I will write them. Would you take your study guide out? Let's just fill that verse in. Hebrews 10, 16. I will put my law, that's the first word, I will put my law into their hearts and in their minds. I will write them. I will put my laws. That first word is plural. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds, I will write them. To a generation living at the end of time, God said, hey, oh, 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 hey, don't let this thing wrap up yet. Please, I want to put my law. I want to put it right here in the cognitive intellectual processes of their lives. Let me put it right here. Hold it, hold it, hold the winds, hold it. Now, the question is, does the Old Testament support the New Testament witness? Let's go back and check it out. Go way back to the book of Isaiah. Now we're going backwards. Isaiah in the Old Testament. Find Isaiah chapter 8, will you please? Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah 8, verse 16. Put them on the screen. There they are. God's words. Bind up the testimony Seal the law among my disciples. Would you write that in? Because we have it here in our study guide. Seal the law. Write in the word law. Seal the law among my disciples. In fact, God has said, hey, you, you, you who are living at the end of time, I want you to be very careful. There's going to be a whole lot of wind blowing, winds of doctrine blowing. Verse 20, look at verse 20 here. To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Look out, God's saying, be careful now. There's going to be a whole lot of deception going on. Make sure you always check truth by this standard. To the law and to the testimony. Let's be honest, uh, there are some Christians today who are very uncomfortable with God being so big on His own law. I mean, on the Ten Commandments. What is up with that, they ask? Why is, why is He so big? Hey folks, come on. what is this? He ought to be big on the law. Do you understand? The law is a shining reflection of His own character. This last week, oh, I'm sorry to report this. This last week, one of our pastors, who shall remain nameless for obvious reasons, was apprehended by the police for not coming to a complete stop at the four-way stop sign here on campus. You're not looking at him. You're not looking at him. You're not looking at him. I would have been happy to visit him in jail. Oops, I just gave away, I said him. So that takes the her out of the equation. So it's not our woman pastor, you know. I would have been happy to visit him in jail had he ended up there. But fortunately, the officer was gracious unto him and explained to him that the big red octagonal sign that is metal and it has four letters, S-T-O-P, that means, hold on now, stop. (laughs) The pastor came to me later and he asked if I had ever been stopped. At that four-way stop sign to which I, with great humility and pride, said, Never in my life. How could you have done this to us? The shame. Well, the reason our anonymous pastor will never forget that law, I promise you, will always stop there in the future, is because the officer who pulled him over is one of our faithful parishioners that he works with on a weekly basis. (laughs) From now on, I tell you the truth. Pastor X, every time he approaches that four-way stop sign, will picture the face of the lawman as he remembers the force of the law. Now it's forever linked. And by the way, that's exactly the way it is with God's law. The lawgiver is at the very heart of the law given. You throw one out, you're going to reject the other. Which means, by the way, that not one of those Ten Commandments can be cast aside without casting aside the very lawgiver whose reflection they are in the first place. Okay, so so let's check this law. I mean, they said the law goes here. Let's check it out. Let's go back to where the law is. It's Exodus chapter 20. Now we don't have time. No, no, no. Not going to do it. The Ten Commandments are here in Exodus 20. But let's go back to Exodus 20 for a moment. Take a look at this. And while you're going there, by the way, let me tell you about a cartoon I saw this last week. Sadly, reflecting the public and the press's post William Jefferson Clinton analysis of our former president. I saw this cartoon. President, former President Clinton obviously continues to live in the swirl of controversy. We're talking about the pardons he issued on his last day in office, you know, and some of the gifts he and his wife took away from the White House. It has not been a very pretty scene. Well, one cartoonist decided that he would symbolize these last few weeks post-presidency with a drawing of a pawn shop window somewhere in New York City, or maybe just any big city in the United States. And there in that window, pawned off to the dealer, and now being offered to the highest bidder, the familiar, eagle-graced, presidential seal of the United States. And what's the cartoonist saying? He said, well, you know, the whole office has been pawned off. Well, whether you agree with that or not, the seal was front and center for a few moments. Does God have a seal? Does he Does he have a seal? We just read he did. What goes on that seal? Well, let's take our present president. Let's put it up on the screen. I want you to see the real seal of the United States, the president of the United States. There are three components on a seal. Number one, there is the name. Number two, there is the office. And number three, there is the jurisdiction. So let's just fill it in for our present president. George W. Bush, name, president, office. What's his jurisdiction? Only one nation on earth. And what is that nation? United States of America. That's what typically makes a seal official. Now, here's the question. Does God have a seal? Now, remember, and I put these little points down, not to fill in any blanks, but I want to make sure you don't miss it. So it's at the bottom of your study guide sheet. Remember this, number one. God will seal His final forever, friends, with a seal on their forehead. Number two, God seals His followers with His law. Therefore, number three, somewhere in God's law, we shall be able to find God's seal. And sure enough, one of the Ten Commandments has the seal in it. The only one, by the way. It's the fourth commandment. Drop down to verse 8. You already have Exodus 20 in front of you. Let's begin in verse 8. Remember... The Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you will labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, your cattle, your stranger that is within your gates. Verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. The New American Standard Bible says, and made it Holy. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. It is the fourth commandment. Now, try to find the seal of God in the fourth commandment. It's on your study guide. Let's just fill these out. Turn the page so you have the three right there. The name. What is the name in the fourth commandment? The Lord your God. The office. What is His office? He made. He's maker slash creator. What's His jurisdiction? Heaven and earth. The whole world, the whole universe is His jurisdiction. There it is. The seal of God in the very heart of the Ten Commandments. Which means that, hey, hold it. God's fourth commandment, remember the seventh day Sabbath to keep it holy, is the very commandment that is sealed into the foreheads of an end-time generation of forever friends of His. It's the fourth commandment that has the seal. Which is precisely, by the way... What Revelation eventually comes along and boldly announces, folks, that is it. The final issue on this planet will be the counterplay and showdown between the seal of God and the mark of the beast. Only two camps. Only two warring kingdoms, two battling ideologies, two and only two sides to the entire human race. One side, seal of God in the forehead. Other side, mark of the beast in the forehead or in the hand. Doesn't matter to that other side. There will be no third mark because there is no third side. Every human being will choose, in the end, one side or the other. is why the apocalypse is so passionate about defining what it means to be on God's side with God's seal. You remember the words we read just a moment ago, chapter 14, verse 1? The forever friends of God at the end of time have His name. You remember that? It said His name. His his Father's name on the forehead. Some of you, this this will be a surprise. I want to share with you the name of God that is given more times than any other name in the book of Revelation. Take a look at this. What's the name of God that goes in the forehead? Let's go to Revelation. We've got to go go back to uh, the apocalypse. Back to the Bible's last book. Look at Revelation chapter 4. It's a beautiful worship scene taking place there. Worship takes place in heaven just like it takes place down here on earth. And we've had a great worship today. But look at this. At the end of the worship scene, chapter 4, the last two verses of chapter 4, verse 10, And the four and twenty elders fall down before Him that sat on the throne, and they worship Him that liveth forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for You have created all things, and for Your pleasure they are and were created. He is called Creator. In fact, before we look up the other two texts, would you just write it in so that I won't forget it? What is God called most often in Revelation? Creator. Creator. Now, I noticed I, I neglected to draw your attention to a previous line in the study guide. The final showdown will be between the seal of God and the mark of the beast. You already knew that one. You already could figure that one out, but... We just covered it now. He's called Creator more than any other title. Let's, let's, let's go to another one. Revelation chapter 10. Look at this. This is fascinating. Wow. Revelation 10, verse 5. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven... And verse 6, swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heavens, who created heaven and the things that are therein, and the earth and the things that are therein, and the sea and the things that are therein, that there should be time no longer. When the Bible runs out of time, the issue is going to be God the Creator. And by the way, by the way, the language here that we just read in the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, is the very wording in the fourth commandment. Revelation 10 scoops out of the fourth commandment the words that describe God as Creator. (laughs) There is no question that God as Creator is the issue that will bring this entire planet to its final apocalyptic showdown. What's the name that goes in the forehead? Creator, Creator. Let me show you just one more. Well, we just read it, didn't we, in Revelation 14? But go back there. Revelation chapter 14, that first angel... I want to go straight to verse 7 of Revelation 14. Go straight to verse 7. The angel said with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. Now here it comes. And worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. Straight out of the Greek Old Testament. Fourth commandment. You just got it. They pulled the fourth commandment into God's final appeal to the human race. Wow, you'd have to be really trying to ignore what the Bible is teaching in the apocalypse to try to convince me, oh, Dwight, it's not going to be about God the Creator. You are so wrong. What does it mean? What does it mean to be on God's side? What does it mean to have God's seal in the forehead? There's nothing that nothing go. there. Left behind is wrong. They make these little marks that everybody can see. If you're on the same side, you can see it. It's not that. It's something deeper. It's in the heart. It goes into the intellect. What this university is all about, it goes there. It goes there. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth to see and all that in them is, and rested on the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. He made it holy. I'm telling you, folks, any way you wish to cut it, God's seventh day Sabbath will be in the crosshairs of the final showdown on this planet. You can take the apocalypse's word for it. In fact, would you write that down? I see that that's on our study guide too. God's seventh day Sabbath. Write in the word seventh day. God's seventh day Sabbath will be in the crosshairs. It's going to be a showdown between God the Creator and Antichrist the Usurper. A showdown between the seal of God and the mark of the beast. A showdown between worshiping the Creator on His day and worshiping the Antichrist on His day. Hey, wait a minute. What is the day of the Creator? When the Creator was here in the flesh, what did He say? Mark chapter 2, verse 28. The Son of Man is Lord. Read it out loud with me. He's Lord of what day? Lord of the Sabbath, ladies and gentlemen. There is no question in Scripture which day God is Lord of. He's Lord of the Sabbath. It's the Lord's day. The seventh day is the Lord's day. Well, if the seventh day is the Lord's day, then what day is the Antichrist's day? I have a little orange booklet in my library. And in it are these words, title of the booklet, The Convert's Catechism of Catholic Doctrine. For the official imprimatur to declare that the author and priest, Peter Geierman, was given all the ecclesiastical blessing necessary for this book to speak for Rome. In that book, you will read this exchange. Question, which day is the Sabbath day? Answer. Saturday is the Sabbath day. Question. Why do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday then? Answer. We observe Sunday instead of Saturday because the Catholic Church in the Council of Laodicea, 8336, transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. Quoting another catechism. This one written by a priest and scholar, Dr. Shaloner, in the book, Catholic Christian Instructed. Another exchange. Question, has the Catholic Church power to make any alterations in the commandments of God? answer, instead of the seventh day and other festivals appointed in the old law, the church has prescribed the Sundays and holy days to be set apart for God's worship. And these we are now obliged to keep in consequence of God's commandment instead of the ancient Sabbath. You know what, ladies and gentlemen? It is most strange that you can find nowhere in Scripture God granting Any human the right or the prerogative to alter what God Himself wrote with His own finger in stone. From whence comes then this power to tamper with God's eternal law? Let me finally quote from another catechism. A doctrinal catechism is the title of this, written by Stephen Keenan. Have you any other way of proving that the church has power to institute festivals or precepts? Question? Answer. Had she not such power, she could not have done that in which all modern religionists agree with her. She could not have substituted the observance of Sunday, the first day of the week, for the observance of Saturday, the seventh day, a change for which there is no scriptural authority. End quote. No scriptural authority. End quote. In a breathtaking demonstration of circular reasoning, this geo-religial political power declares the proof that we have the power to change the Sabbath to Sunday is found in our changing the Sabbath to Sunday. Without a hint of divine permission, contrary to all that this book stands for, that change has already been made. How did Daniel 7's prophecy predict it? He shall think to change times and law. Daniel was right. It has already happened. There you have it. The contrast between the seal of God and the mark of the beast could hardly be more pronounced. The authority of God versus the authority of man... The worship of God versus the worship of man. Sabbath versus Sunday. The seal of God versus the mark of the beast. Ladies and gentlemen, it is inescapable in the apocalypse. The final global issue before Jesus returns will be the authority of the Creator and His Sabbath. I think of the academic community in which we live here. It is no coincidence that the academic world today this present one accepted. The academic world today is ruled by scientific atheism under the euphemism of naturalism or Darwinism. Human intellectual history is headed straight for this cataclysmic showdown between the authority of the Creator and the authority of a pseudo-creator power that man has vested in himself. Revelation is fingering the third millennium. It is no accident today that this postmodern society Rapidly post-Christian and post-creator with social atheism ruling the media and the masses through secularism and materialism and hedonism. What is hedonism? It is the mindless pursuit of pleasure. It is no accident that it pursues its end without a creator. And I tell you what. It would not be hard for one to somehow wonder, is there some sort of dark, sinister mind that is attempting desperately to destroy every vestige and evidence of a benevolent Creator on this planet? Revelation has fingered the third millennium. Human science, human society are on a collision course With the Creator of the universe. I have people come to me and say, Hey, come on, Dwight. You know what? This is all 19th century. No, 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 no. Wrong. Third millennium. Collision course. I know what some of you are thinking. Come on, Dwight. Do you think that you could ever get the Seventh-day Sabbath into the consciousness of the global media? It will never happen. To those who mutter that, I quietly introduce as contrary evidence the nomination of Joseph Lieberman as vice presidential candidate for the Democratic Party in 2000 A.D. Nobody, it seems, in the secular press had ever heard of observing the Bible Sabbath from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday evening as the Jews in Seventh-day Adventists do the world over. But all of a sudden, literally overnight... The Sabbath became a talking point of a thousand editorials and press releases literally overnight. A world that had never heard of this foolishness. Overnight. God's Seventh-day Sabbath, because while the Jews haven't found Jesus, they have kept His Sabbath, was catapulted into national consciousness. So let me tell you something, my friend. Don't you trouble your pretty little heart if God needs to get this into the consciousness of the globe overnight. He can set up the choice. Seal of God, mock of the beast. He can do it overnight. Because the powers that already be, already be. All it will take is one national calamity. All it will take is some sort of global collapse. Overnight. Overnight. The powers that already will spring into action. And then shall come true Revelation 13.3 and all the world wandered after the beast. The Bible is clear. The seventh day Sabbath is the final line of demarcation between the seal of God and the mark of the beast. And I want to say, to my friends who are watching and who are saying, you know, Dwight, this is the first time I have ever heard anything like this. I want to say something to you, my friend. You need to know nobody, nobody on this planet has the mark of the beast right now. We're, we're still a few paces away from this ap- apocalyptic showdown. But I tell you what, don't you, you don't have to take my word for it. Don't, in fact, do that at all. But pick up this book. you got a book. You can find it down at the corner drugstore. Get this book. And examine it for yourself. And and pray this prayer. Why don't you pray this prayer? Oh God, if it's true that You're going to seal Your friends on earth with Your law, You will write it in their minds. Holy Father, I ask You, please, seal my mind with Your law that I might follow Your will. I want to tell you something, my friend. You pray that prayer... God will honor your faith in Him in this book. And of you, one day, it shall also be written, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. O oh, Creator God, carved in stone the word remember, But, oh, Father, I speak for all of us. We have forgotten. We have forgotten that at the heart of that passionate appeal is the very heart of our forever friend. Oh, God, in the mounting crescendo that is catapulting this society towards its last showdown, when all of human intellectual history is headed square to this showdown, when social history is headed straight to this showdown, a creatorless society, Holy Father, let that midnight warning go forth with utter clarity. Fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come and worship Him, the Creator, who made heaven and earth. Dear Father, for these... Who, for the first time, have discovered the Creator left his seal on the seventh day. As that man, as that woman, as that young adult picks up your book, dear Father, honor that faith. Bring to that heart a conviction of what is truth, and may the light of Holy Scripture be the bright light that grows brighter and brighter upon his pathway, her journey. Until the perfect day when Christ Jesus, our Lord, shall come. Till then, dear Father, hold us in the palm of your hand, the hands of our Maker and our God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.